This is Here Arizona, addressing issues, empowering our community. We're outside in the courtyard of the Emanuel Care Center in Peoria. We're here to chat with Candace Bennett and Jim Warner, two wheelchair users who skew towards the younger side of the nursing home residents. It is harder being a nursing facility where the majority of the residents are elderly. So when you get younger people that come in and you try to combine the older with the younger, it, there's there's a big big age, big clash. Not clash, I don't want to say clash, like there's friction or anything, but on activities here of what a 70-year-old person would like to do compared to a 30-year-old person. According to the CDC, about one-sixth of nursing home residents are under the age of 65. There aren't a ton of other younger people at Emanuel for Candace and Jim to bond with. How do they bridge that difference in how, you know, the older folks like things, you know, have things done, um, and then the way the younger generations want to do things? Because um, this is where we live, so, you know, we have to think of this like our home, and, you know... Our home. Younger generations live differently than older generations. This is Inaccessible, a Hear Arizona podcast. I'm Andrea Pasquale, the director of Sun Sounds of Arizona, a reading and information service for people who can't read or hold print because of a disability. I've been working with people with disabilities for over 15 years. With this show, we're taking a look at the issues people with disabilities face in Arizona. If people are not getting a good housing, then people are being placed in nursing homes. Nursing homes or institutions where they don't have choices. Last episode, we spoke with Daryl Christensen at Ability360 about building more accessible housing units and modifying existing homes. Today, we're continuing the conversation around housing and we're looking at what can happen when accessible homes aren't easily available. You know, at the time of my accident, I was 23. I lived by myself. I worked, went to school, you know, was pretty independent. And, you know, having to move home to live with your parents after that and, you know, and then going to a facility, uh, I lost a lot of that, um, a lot. She could probably help you out too. Another wheelchair user comes up alongside us while we're chatting. Here at Chatterbox, would you like would you like to do an interview? She asks us not to use her name. Those of us who are disabled and left in, norm, in nursing homes are forgotten. We're forgotten. We're, we're, and it's not, we're not as prevalent out there in public as other disabled people are who are living in apartments or living in their homes or, you know, it's different, and, and I speak from a different time. You know, I've been in three nursing homes, so this is new for her. It's, it's not new for me, you know, so um, this is my third nursing home, and, and I know how closed off I felt, you know, and trying to get out there, um, trying to find things to do, trying to go back to school. It's not easy, it's just not easy. It's not easy for anybody. And I'm sorry, but when you're in a nursing home, there's a different mentality. 
Jim and Candace are both searching for a place to live outside of a nursing home. My ideal situation would, of course, be living on my own, you know, being living on my own, because I have more freedom. I mean, I, I'm a T5 down, so I have use of my arms than that, but any, nothing below my arms. So I can do pretty much functionable tasks throughout the day. You know, I've even thought about if I won the lottery, I yeah. would buy a very large house for me and my friends, my wheelchair friends, and, you know, just make it kind of like a group home, but just, you know, a home for us yeah. that's adaptive and, you know, has the help, has the things that we, you know, absolutely need, and then, you know, just make it in our home. Currently, that dream lies just out of reach, locked away by money. We have pay rent here. We get, I get Social Security. I get, I get $30 a month. And for me to try to save any money to ever be come up with a down payment for anything is just, it's, you can't do it on $30 a month because it's not enough. You just can't live off what they're paying you, you know. It's just hard to, it's hard to do. It's hard to, it's hard to do anything with this, you know, with the Social Security benefits that we receive. No, I'm, that, that, that's that's just you know one of the main factors that's holding 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 a lot of people up, holding me up, you know. Because I mean, I had a house before here, but it it burnt down, and uh, it you, to try to think, to, Jesus, how am I going to save up? For that's what's holding me back is just being able to you know have the the, the funds to. Uh, accumulate the funds in any uh, amount of time <laughs> to to uh, to move out it's so hard and then they have you know they have these programs like the um, low housing list uh, you know a low housing there's so many people on the list you're waiting three four years here we also have 12 housing authorities that oversee subsidy programs like Section 8, one of the most familiar ones for people. Section 8 is a federal housing voucher program managed by cities. Long waits before being approved for the program are common. And the last time the Phoenix waitlist even opened for new applicants was August 2016. Here's Daryl Christensen again, talking about how the program operates in the Valley. Another piece of the equation, too, is that uh, if a person is awarded a voucher, whether it's Section 8 or any other type of subsidy program, finding an appropriate apartment that or unit that will accept that voucher is becoming increasingly difficult, uh, not only here in Arizona, but across the nation. We're seeing that more and more landlords who have been participating in this program are backing out of it because, for example, here they can get fair market rent without having to go through a uh, government program, and so they're able to charge $1,200 for a one-bedroom and, and get that. For each person that we move out of a nursing home and back into the community with home and community-based services, we save $40,000 per person per year. Now, this is not to suggest that the government programs are the end-all and the buy-all and, 
you know, we all want to cut down on, you know, government spending and such. But it's taking care of our own, taking care of Americans who are in need, who need housing, who deserve a place to live that is safe and affordable for them rather than out on the streets as as under the bridges and such. So this is just taking care, Americans taking care of Americans, regardless of your political stance on how government funding and programs should go. Ability360 and other disability rights organizations offer assistance in navigating the system, but getting on a wait list or finding a job, that takes time. And what happens to a person's sense of community in the meantime? With any issue that has to do with uh, gender, ethnicity, disability, um, the feeling of isolation can be um, very difficult. Patricia Friedrich is an associate dean at ASU's New College of Interdisciplinary Arts and Sciences, and she's also an instructor in their disability studies program. And so if you find a community, um, I, I think you will already um, be in a much uh, better position. And then, you know, find in your channels of communication um, if somebody is an artist, if they are a musician, if they are a writer, if they are a teacher, find in their unique channel of communication um, a voice to express um, uh, their views and their, uh, their perspective. Um, I, I think that these are two, you know, they, they sound simple, but they're actually, um, they can be very rewarding and uh, actually very complex processes of becoming a part of uh, something uh, bigger. Support groups. They need more support groups here and all the other facilities that I've been in in the, in the past. That would be something that is, should be implemented, I think. Just and if, it, and if that's the way to do an age thing that way too, you know, have one of the support groups a younger, have one of them older, have a a male, a female, you know, whichever kind of support groups they need, or one just big one. Back in North Carolina, not in Arizona, um, one of the rehab hospitals that I was I went to had a support group, and that was kind of the way that I learned to be honestly okay in public. I'm mean, not so worried about what I look like in this damn chair. Like I used to not wear my seatbelt, thinking, oh, like in pictures that nobody would see the wheelchair. Oh, yeah, yeah big old wheelchair <laughs> it's just it's a part of me like it's the way I live I'm not worried about it now because I went out and did things with other people in wheelchairs here okay here in Arizona they had the down the lake that I found out about through a support group on Facebook and that was awesome I got out on Lake Pleasant and uh, rode a jet ski I, I can't even use my own hands or arms so how would you think someone would ride a jet ski like that Sandwiched between two guys. So much fun. That was my favorite thing. He started, we uh, got on and he's like, well, how fast or slow do you want to go? You know, just so I know. And I'm like, how fast can this go? And he's like, let's go. And, you know, it was fun because it was just structured around people with, I think, wheelchairs or disabilities. So just having um, things like that um, be more well-known so that more more of us with disabilities could learn about it, you know, do it if we can, or, you know, find ways to do it. 
Sometimes Candace takes the long paratransit trip from Peoria in the North Valley to the Ability360 Sports and Fitness Center, or SPOFIT, in Phoenix. At SPOFIT, people with differing levels of ability exercise and play sports together. Um, so right now I, d- I do therapy with Next Step, and it's just a progressive activity-based therapy where um, they put me in like a something called a Ripton where I'm able to walk around the track and uh, use rowing machines, a lot of different adaptive equipment. I mean, it's really nice to be able to walk around the track. I mean, being sedentary in a wheelchair, it's any kind of movement um, feels good. Lauren Worthington is walking us through the facility. We spoke with him in episode one. Okay, so now we're at the uh, climbing indoor climbing wall that we have here at the sports center. This is one of the great opportunities that we have to get families involved in what we do. And so if we have a, um, a child who has a disability, we can get the whole family on the climbing wall. So we have certain types of adaptive equipment that allow them to climb a little bit better, but probably more important is that our staff has been trained to work with people with disabilities to give them some ideas about how they can do the climbing. Perhaps it's how two siblings can work together uh, on the climbing wall and just develop confidence in uh, first climbing a wall, but then uh, that's going to lead to them getting out and having more confidence uh, in everyday life. What, what, what you're seeing here is a perfect example of what our sports center set out to accomplish in that you see two people that are use, using the, the cycles. One of them is in a wheelchair and has a disability, but the lady next to her is a family member. And this is what we, we hope for is that people will come and work out together, but it also solves another problem. Can't, transportation and that a person with a disability may not be able to get to the fitness center but because we hope their family members or their friends will come and work out with them that's the transportation that uh, a lot of people need to work out to, to get here SPOFIT hosts an invitational goalball tournament It's a sport made for people with visual disabilities. Two teams of three people face off. One side attempts to roll a ball between the goalposts, while the defending team uses their bodies to block the ball. All the players are blindfolded, and they sense the ball by listening for it. Uh, My name's uh, Dylan Pleasance, and I play with the Seattle King Cobras. One of the things that I really like about goalball is that uh, it's a sport that Blind athletes can perform as best as they can, and there's there's no limits of of their capabilities in this sport. You you don't have to rely on your uh, on sighted people. The support group aspect of it is nice to share the common you know interests or struggles um, amongst us, and I feel like sometimes we're a real small population, but you know there's a lot of us in the valley, and I think if more of us got together, then we could be a bigger voice, um, collect more heads together to find ideas, you know, to overcome some of these obstacles. 
Among those obstacles is an underlying issue. It affects both housing and transportation. And I've been trying to uh, get back into school. And that's another thing that's hard, you know, when you don't have a computer to get online and do online schooling and then you only get $30 a month. You can't afford that computer. So there's one of the other things that's holding a person back. It's, it just comes down to the money, the, the, you know, it's all just the money, I guess. Next episode, we talk about workplace accessibility and finding work in the first place. This has been Episode 3 of Inaccessible from Here, Arizona. That's H-E-A-R, Arizona. This podcast is made possible by support from the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust. For more information on the state of affordable housing in Phoenix, check out our other podcasts, Unaffordable and Unsheltered. Please tell all your friends to check us out. They can search for Here, Arizona or Inaccessible on their favorite podcast listening app. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, NPR One, Spotify. And since our goal is to help empower our community, we want you to be part of the conversation. Follow Here Arizona on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And if you want to share your own story about living life in Phoenix with a disability, send a note to our producer, Jay McCulloch, at jaymcculloch at kjzz.org. To find out about the organizations and Arizona nonprofits that assist people with disabilities, head over to our resource page at herearizona.org. Here Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes Sun Sounds, Spot 127, KBOC, and KJZZ. This episode was reported, written, and produced by Jay McAuliffe and hosted by me, Andrea Pasquale. Our script was edited by Carrie Fair Schneider, and Linda Pastori is our executive producer. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>